You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, welcome to Future Proof. We're excited to be here again this week, and thanks for joining us. And Morag, where are you today? Ah, well, it's the catch me if you can, the modern equivalent of Where's Waldo. This week, I yeah. am in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, wow, that's that's great. And I'm sheer across the country in San Francisco, and uh, our guest is is probably somewhere else, and this is yeah. modern technology at its finest, isn't it? It is, yes. In fact, Courtney's here with me in Richmond, Virginia also, but uh, not in the same place. So, yes, if you want a 21st century experience, the wonders of modern technology that allows us to, allow us to communicate and collaborate across time and distance, no matter where you are on the planet. Which, which is really cool. I mean, think about it. What, 10 years ago? I mean... People would say, well, you know, you're going to have video conferencing and it was expensive. And I remember companies I worked for had these wormholes and all these screens up so that you could communicate. And now it's, it's second nature. Well, it is, though I will say that there is still some learning to be done because I know in my client organizations, those wonderful smart boards that replace blackboards sit there idle because people are worried about breaking them. And even video conference, the number of times I talk to people and say, well, do you use the camera so you can actually see your colleagues and start building relationships? No, because none of us like to see ourselves on the small screen, let alone the big screen. So I think there's still some uh, influence to be done there, but it's no doubt that it's transforming the how and the speed of business. And if you think about this week, as we watch the hurricanes and the impact that's had across uh, Houston and beyond, but also the current uh, um, hurricane Irma and how that's battling towards the U.S., we're watching that play out real time and the devastation and impact. So thank goodness for modern technology so that people are able to let their loved ones and their families know that they are okay and uh, start planning and rebuilding. Yeah, but it also begs another question. I flew out to San to L.A. and then up uh, to San Francisco for Labor Day weekend. And, uh, you know, it was 106 degrees in San Francisco, which is basically unheard of. People just did yeah, not know. Wow. A lot of people don't have air conditioning in San Francisco because it's really not necessary. And it was quite the, uh, the climate shift. It's just today getting back to being somewhat... Uh, "Quote unquote normal." So mm-hmm. um, between all the changing technology, all the climate issues that seem to be going on countrywide and frankly worldwide. I mean, India and Mumbai had the worst monsoons ever. Um, it's just terrible. So you are with our guest today. I Courtney. know. Yes, I am. Well, I'm really excited to introduce Courtney, and Courtney, I'll just give you the air in just a moment, but I've known Courtney now for some time and have been inspired by her thought process and uh, the work that she and her firm Leadstar have been doing in the leadership development space. And for those of you thinking, well, I recognize the name. Well, Courtney is the co-author of a New York Times bestselling book, Spark, but also has written another book, Leading from the Front, which she will be telling us all about 
as we go through our conversation. But Courtney, welcome to the show. How are you and how was your holiday weekend? Oh, well, thank you, ladies, so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And Morag, thanks for that introduction. And Linda, thank you, too, for having me on the program. It's great. My holiday weekend was excellent. Uh, A little bit of work, a little bit of rest, just the way I like it. Ah, A little bit of everything. Well, why don't we start by setting the scene for our listeners? Because I know your journey to how you got to where you you are today is, like most people's, it's not the traditional path. It's a, a windy path. But you bring a unique perspective to leadership development. So, Help our listeners. Who are you and how do you get to where you are today? (laughs) Sure. I think the best way to describe me quickly is to say, you know, I am an absolute leadership geek. And (laughs) I think it's it's because I was an accidental leader, right? I didn't grow up thinking, oh, you know, I want to be an expert on leadership. But I made a very non-traditional career choice. When I finished college, I worked briefly in broadcast journalism. Yet then I made this choice to join the United States Marine Corps and to give you perspective on that choice to become a Marine, you know, out of 180,000 Marines roughly serving our nation at any time here in the U.S., only about 1,000 are female Marine Corps officers. So I was in a really significant minority, but it was an amazing, amazing career choice. I mean, Everything that I thought it would be, it was. Certainly world travel, the opportunity to uh, gain responsibility at a young age, and I even earned money for graduate school, right? All those (laughs) things you think about. (laughs) But the biggest takeaway was I learned how to lead people in very extreme environments. And when I left the Marine Corps, I thought, well, you know, those were some great lessons. It was a great experience. But now I'm in the private sector. I'm going to have to learn a whole other set of rules or behaviors or responses to be successful. And what I realized was, you know, almost like that classic book, everything I learned in kindergarten, everything I learned in the Marine Corps really just set me up to be able to lead in lots of different circumstances. So it was a real non-traditional path to recognizing that the more we grow and develop as leaders, the better we are as people, the better we are as professionals, the more value we add to the world. So this is something that Linda and I explore in the book and the the concept of leadership, not just being a title based uh, role or responsibility, but certainly in the 21st century, leadership is something that we are all accountable for. So how do you define leadership? You know, I love it that you bring that up, right? And I think it's interesting to think of the context, right? I learned to lead as a Marine. And when we think about Hollywood's version of the Marine Corps, we think <laughs> yeah. about command and control, right? We think yes. about hi- hierarchies and top-down and uh, autocratic. But believe it or not, that's not at all the way it was. That's Hollywood's version. But we were taught you needed to be able to influence outcomes and inspire others. So that's how we define leadership today. A leader is someone who influences outcomes and inspires others. And you needed to do that through your behavior. Your rank, that was, yeah, certainly something you wore on your uniform. But at the end of the day, when you're asking people to push beyond their physical and emotional limits, if you're not the person through the credible example you set that can influence and inspire without the benefit of rank, you're not going to be very effective when the chips are down. Yeah, how true is that? You know, what what I'm interested in too, uh, Courtney, is You know, it is a male-dominated world, and for for a whole variety of reasons and lots of history around all of that, and, you know, I'm not making a judgment about that, but what was it like to be one of the top 1,000 Marine Corps officers? Uh, How did that affect you, and 
And, and what impact did that have on you? I love it that you bring up that question, right? Because um, I learned such valuable lessons being a significant minority in an organization, right? Some of them were the ones that you might think about, right? Like empathy and compassion and, and realizing how it feels to be a little different. Uh, yet some of them were the ones that I really credit with, you know, those were valuable lessons, but the ones that I really most credit with my success today were, in the end, it doesn't matter, you know, what socioeconomic status, what race you are, what gender you are. In, if you want to be credible to influence and inspire, it matters. Do you meet results, right? Do you meet the standard? And do you show that you care about people along the way, right? And that's what I learned. I learned that, yeah, you know what? As a minority, so many times I heard, oh my gosh, like you're the first woman I've ever worked for um, out of career Marines or, you know, like you're not what I expected or wow, you know, like this is different. I mean, it was, it was an adjustment more for the men that worked with me because I knew that, yeah, in the beginning, I might have to prove myself a little bit more, but after I got to know people, trust is trust, credibility is credibility, accountability is accountability. And so when I got out into the private sector, and ironically, my first job in the private sector was working in a software company, and the team that I led was about 80% female, right? Um, I maybe had to adapt in some little ways, right? You can take the girl out of the core, but not the core out of the girl. I had to like, maybe watch my salty language a little bit, right? But I knew that. <laughs> those same principles of just taking care of people and always setting, you know, a credible performance standard. Those were the, the intangibles. And I think that I almost had that lesson reinforced even more because as a minority, you carry the weight of the minority class on your shoulders, right? So you think of the Marine Corps, you think of physical training and running and endurance, and those things are standards in the organization. I knew if I didn't keep pace and I didn't keep the standard, people would tend to think it was all women, all women couldn't meet the standard versus if someone, one of my male colleagues, for example, fell out of the run that day, it would be, you know what, John's having a bad day, right? It would be him as an individual. And so I really actually appreciated that at a young age, though, having that, that almost that pressure or that realization. And then it led me to that path of understanding it's standards that are important, um, not necessarily what makes us different. Courtney, you, you, you raised another interesting point. I, I have a very good friend who's the CEO of a, of a large global company, and, and he talks a lot about trust, and he's brought someone on board uh, into his organization who is a former military officer, and he, you know, he, he talked about how different trust is in the workplace versus in the military, and, uh, you know, you, 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 you raised the word trust, which I think is fundamental. But it's very different when you're trusting somebody with your life as you are in these life and death circumstances versus being in an office. What, what's your perspective on that? How do you build trust in a less uh, challenging environment, so to speak? Yeah, I think the interesting thing is, is that, you know, I realized that you know, trust is so valuable and so necessary, I think in a much more efficient way. I had a leg up on my private sector peers because when your life is potentially on the line and you feel that you could be harmed, you have to have trust, right? So it was almost a luxury. We had to cut to the chase. We had to address issues. We had to be accountable. We had to offer feedback. We had to work it out because you wanted to work it out in training. You did not want it to have it, have it be something that was hanging over your head when you 
were in a conflict situation. And so the interesting thing, though, is, is the practices translate how we built that trust, right? Um, we always were taught, you know, when you're in the Marine Corps and you're an officer and you're a leader of Marines, you're not there necessarily fighting for your country. You're there for the Marine to the left of you, the Marine to the right of you, and all the Marines that are looking to you for leadership. And how do you understand their needs? How do you take care of those needs? How do you coach and mentor and improve performance? And when you make those mistakes, because we're all human, right? We're all fallible creatures. We're going to make mistakes. How do you instantly own them, expressing that accountability and then opening uh, your mind and your heart and your perspective uh, so that you can get better, right? So all of these behaviors translate so well to the private sector. The challenge for people who aren't in the military is that you're counter, sometimes counter culture, right? I mean, we all have cultures where it's easy to jump on the Blaine bandwagon or someone's not performing, but we just don't really talk about it because it's too uncomfortable for us. What if they get mad at us? Or we have a culture where, you know, our to-do list is really long. And, you know, I know Paul, he over there has got a lot to do, but I don't have time to help him because I got to get my stuff done, right? right? And in the military, a lot of that was just, you know, everybody wanted to survive. So it was a much more efficient process of us demonstrating those behaviors that, again, are the success factors in the private sector when safety isn't an issue. Right. Well, you know, everybody wants to survive, and that's the common uh, underlying goal. So, Morag, I know you've got a burning question. Well, I do. It goes back to your first book, and it bridges from your experience in the Marines to where you are today with LeadStar and the work that you're doing with companies around the world in building leadership capability. So your first book, Leading from the Front, No Excuse Leadership Tactics for Women, in which you discuss 10 key practices to become a powerful leader. And earlier you talked about being a minority and the the sort of um, assumptions that can be made that you're not what I expected. Or to the the example you gave, you don't make the run, so therefore all women can't make the physical standards. Whereas if a man drops out, oh, he's just having a bad day. And we see this in corporate. So Talk a little bit about how you see that convert into the corporate world, but also what would be one of the 10 key practices for women today who are faced with, oh, well, you're not what I expected as an IT leader, or you're not what I expected as an HR leader. What advice do you have for them to navigate that sort of stereotyping? No, I love it. Um, I think your question, you know, can be answered by sharing some of the advice and some of the perspectives, right? Because here's the deal is people are going to perceive us. They're going to stereotype us. They're going to make judgments, right? I mean, that's what humans do in an instant. We're sizing someone up. We're racking, stacking, or making judgments. It's human instinct. It might have a little to do with self-preservation, but leaders become more effective at overriding those instincts and being open to who people really are. Uh, Yet we have to remember to be who we really are. And it's interesting, as people, we all have two very strong fundamental needs. We're social creatures as human beings, and one, we want to be liked. We want to know, you know, people aren't always going to agree with our opinions, but we want to know that people enjoy being with us, that they care about us, and that they genuinely have positive feelings towards us. That's just us, human nature, we want to be liked. The second factor, though, is the more 
uh, developed we become as a person, the more educated, the more experienced as a professional, we start to get to this point where we have a strong human need to be respected, right? So two very big fundamental needs. We want to be liked and we want to be respected. The challenge comes though, especially when you're that woman uh, in a minority position, like you're talking about the woman leader in the IT organization or in a corporate uh, structure where you might be one of few in a senior role. The challenge comes when we go about having those two needs met in the order in which I describe them. If we're always so focused on being liked or being affirmed, we'll actually find ourselves acting in ways that are more like a chameleon than authentic to who we are as a person. And the respect piece won't happen. Instead, what we have to do as leaders, and this is particularly helpful for those that are minorities in an organization, but it's valuable for all leaders, we have to begin first with respect. How do we earn respect in that culture, in that climate, or on that team? We meet and exceed standards. We demonstrate accountability. We have a sense of service to others. We harness our emotions for success. We project confidence, right? All these leadership factors, some of which we've already talked about. And then... If we do those things and we have the courage to actually be authentic, to lead as we are, right? If we have a sense of humor, we bring it. If we're feminine, we bring that to the table. If we, um, you know, like Star Trek, I mean, whatever it is, when we have the courage to be authentic, the like part usually just takes care of itself. We don't have to work at that piece. And if it's not working, that usually means we've ran into the office jerk, right? Or the difficult <laughs> yes. nobody gets along with, right? And that's where we learn the lesson of just kind of letting go, right? So mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the, the best takeaways I had from the Marine Corps. And it was because I had senior leaders that mentored me, right? Because my instinct as a young junior officer was to assimilate, right? It was to like try to be like the culture of the core, which is heavily masculine. And it wasn't who I was. And I had leaders who were coaching me saying, you know what, if you try to be like something you're not, you're never going to have the credibility to lead. Don't assimilate your leadership style. Certainly meet performance standards, but lead as you are. And that was a huge takeaway for me. And when I really look back on it, I was trying to assimilate because I wanted to be liked. And that was a much lower bar. I had to work to earn respect. And then when I was myself, I was affirmed and I was liked. And uh, I think that's a good message for leaders who are minorities. I love it. So authenticity, focus on respected and the like will follow. And just to be clear, I love Star Trek. So we're listening here at the Future Proof Workplace to Courtney Lynch, who is sharing her experience uh, in the Marines, but also since the Marines with her New York Times bestselling book, Spark, and how we can all become leaders in the 21st century workplace. We're going to go to break. Please stay with us. And when we come back, we're going to explore the concept of culture. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Courtney Lynch, a best-selling author, 
Uh, we're talking a lot about her experience in the Marine Corps and what she learned, not only about being a minority officer, but also about how you assimilate and the role of culture. And, and Courtney, I, I, you know, in our book, we, we Morag's and mine, in Future Proof, we talk a lot about the role of culture and how important it is today. And in fact, I'm finding young companies are starting to really examine and get ahead of culture early on and set values and behaviors that are consistent with how they want to treat each other and, and respect each other, et cetera. And I'm finding it's, 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 it's very powerful. It's obviously not the norm. Um, so what is your view on the role that organizational culture plays in uh, success of a business it's interesting. I think it's really consistent with what I read in your awesome book, Future Proof, right? You talk about the classic quote, I think you have it as culture eats strategy for lunch or culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? We've heard many uh, iterations of that, quote, of that quote, right? And yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a great one. And it's um it's so powerful, right? And I think my view on culture, though, is that culture really is one leader at a time. And when I say that, I don't mean one boss or one senior manager at a time. I mean one person who's committed to influencing outcomes and inspiring others and being that keeper of the standards and the ethos and the ideals of the culture. So the key is how are you keeping your employees informed as to what is it, what is the culture you desire and how are you holding people accountable to being a positive part of that culture? Uh, so I think we have to be very, very intentional about the type of culture we want and then coaching and mentoring that. And it's going to be expressed in all kinds of powerful, positive ways, right? There's a lot of opportunity for people to express a company's culture in creative, positive ways. It doesn't mean we're all cookie cutters, yet we all have to be keepers of the culture and be willing to talk about when things are being done that are inconsistent with the culture we want to have. So I love what you say there. And in fact, that concept of the individual leader, you talk about a lot in your New York Times bestselling book, Spark. So tell us more about how we all are and can become Sparks. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Spark is someone who recognizes that things need to be better and they want to be part of that process to get there, right? And if we're really honest with ourselves, right, as humans, betterment is what we live for, um, especially humans who really want to perform well and want to be credible. So Sparks are folks that, you know, you might not be the most senior person, you might not be the named leader, you might not have 64 advanced degrees, yet you know things can be better and you want to be a part of that solution. And so how are you uh, adding value to the environment in which you're in, right? How, what are you recognizing when it comes to unmet needs? How are you going about meeting those needs? How are you taking initiative? Uh, what are you doing to really excel in a way that's consistent, but certainly not perfect, right? No one comes to work every day 100%, right? We wish we could maybe, but it's mm -hmm. not possible. Uh, but I think Sparks are the ones that are consistently getting back on track and consistently working to be in a position where they can put their best foot forward. Sparks are the people we want to work with. Yeah. Well, I, I, 
I know the book has, has generated a, a huge amount of interest with organizations reaching out to Lead Star and your team to bring the concepts into their organization to help drive change and support their 21st century workplaces. So in that work, what are you seeing as some of the key differences or the challenges that companies are experiencing in terms of the nature of work? And then how is Lead Star helping them to develop their pay, people capability and the leaders of the future? I don't know. I think I asked three questions there. So take your pick, but we'll work through them. <laughs> no, no, I think it's a great question, right? And I think why Spark is resonating so well is because it's it, it was written in a way that it's designed to be shared in community. It's designed to be this tool that is a catalyst for people having discussions about what matters on their team and what they need to do to take their team to the next level. And so today's organizations, right, going back to kind of that Marine Corps private sector analogy, we don't live in a command and control world, right? We live in worlds where there's flatness, there's less hierarchy, there's virtual reality, right? I was listening to you guys talk at the beginning of the show, you know, two different locations, right? We are like the 21st century workforce right here just on this uh, show. And there's just, there's so much... Uh, complexity too to that working environment and so what's going on is that we need some structure right we need some framework to for how do we show up and so what's happening with spark is it's a very practical book it's got a lot of stories in it and it's immediately applicable to the world in which anyone is working where they have to work with and through others to be successful and another thing as well there's lots of resources behind it. We have a website called uh, sparkslead.us. So sparkslead us, sparkslead.us that has a lot of downloadable free resources. And it's just really helped seed the book. So it spreads like wildfire because we're so focused on teams engaging and getting value. So they're making a minimal investment. They're buying a couple of books. They're spending some time together uh, as people talking about what's working and what's not working on their team. And then they're getting some prescriptive that works for them. And I think that's where the success of the book is coming from. It's a real book. It's candid. 90% of the stories in it are failure stories because a lot of times as people, we learn to lead through our missteps and being self-aware about how we can adjust our behavior with what that misstep taught us. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Courtney, as I, as I listen to your talk and, you know, go through your book, that, that there's a certain amount of resilience that's required. And it sounds to me like that's a trait that you see in people that you call are sparks because they're able to make mistakes and they're able to bounce back after. And that's very hard for, for some people. And especially in a world today where there's so much transformation and it can be dizzying for people to be resilient. What, what are your thoughts there? You know, I think that it is, you know, the resiliency factor is huge, right? Because it's not if we're going to make a mistake, it's when we make a mistake. And do we have the courage to own it, right? And do we have the courage to step back into the proverbial game, right? That's what makes someone successful, right? You know, all success stories are tons of failures strung together and then just one more success than failure, right? So it's um, it's it's really that ability to, to keep stepping. But I think that it's hard because the pace at which we're working today, right? We're fatigued yeah. in some 
some ways that I feel are like unnatural or just um, unexplored for human beings, right? Pace adds such a different element to it. And so I think sometimes it's even harder to muster that resilience because of the demands of the modern working world. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit more, the demands of the modern working world. So as you look to the future of leadership development, what do you see as some of the key changes that are coming down the pike that are influencing how LeadStar approaches their partnership with client organizations? Well, I think it's two things. It's leader-led and business case. And I'll Ooh. start with business case first. Okay. Uh, leadership development can't be done now just because it's the right thing to do or it looks great in your annual report or it's good for recruiting. We teach leadership. It has to be done in a way that's highly credible and highly aligned with the business. Uh, our firm, LeadStar, is all about helping organizations get better results through people. So we want to understand how could the elevation of this team have a bottom line impact on the company or this division or this entire organization? Uh, so what we do is we really look for business case. It, what would be better uh, if people had the ability to demonstrate leadership skills at a higher level? So and how, do you, how a, do you do that? Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there, but I'm curious because it's yeah. easy to come in with a list of here are three courses, pick the one you want. But <laughs> sure. I, I, my sense is that's not how you do business at LeadStar. And that's what makes your programs and solutions so different from other consulting firms. So how do you go about that? Yeah, so we're really focused on partnering with our clients. And you're right, we don't come in with, you know, this kind of Chinese menu of training. You need some communication? Okay, great. All right, time management, leadership? Sure, we got that. Here you go. Um, What we do is we come in in a true listening mode. And we spend about 60 to 90 days with our clients immersed in their business operations. Because eventually, I'm going to become that right-hand advisor to senior executives inside the company. And I need to know their business. I'm advising them on people development and the impact leadership development can have for their bottom line and their business, yet I Mm -hmm. need to understand their business so well so that when I'm advising them or when anyone on the LeadStar team is advising them, our advice is in the context of understanding what does this business value, what does their market look like, what does their competition look like, and what is uh, the next level of success that they seek look like. And so, I mean, our company, I mean, I have spent time in the back of a fire truck when I've worked for a fire department. Oh, I spent yes. time on a, on a manufacturing line and, you know, at midnight, I spent time on the North Slope of Alaska with an energy company. We go to where the work gets done and we watch right. who's successful. What behaviors are they demonstrating? How is leadership expressed in that culture? Then we design programs for uh, helping to transfer that brilliance that we see in those sparks to other members of the organization. And we base okay. our programs certainly on research and they're evidence-based. Uh, yet that's the essence of, of how we do it. And All then right. leader-led, we like the to prepare the Tell organizations. Right. Yeah, we like to prepare the organization's managers and leaders to do the work after we're gone. We're consultants. We want to come in, learn the organization, provide the pathway, coach, mentor, train, and develop, and help the company get to a better position, a better result. But then more importantly, we want them to be continuing to progress and getting ROI on their investment in us long after we're gone. 
So we really believe the future of leadership development is employee-led, peer-led, manager-led leadership development programs. And we've developed and designed those types of programs in companies like Facebook and Google and Walmart and organizations that have great names. And then those organizations that you would never know the name if I recognized, if I told you it, but they're organizations that are achieving great results because they've invested in leadership development of their people. Excellent stuff. It's an interesting point that you make because that's a classic uh, diagnostic approach to development, one which, of course, I I support wholeheartedly and think it's essential. And the the leaders uh, teaching leaders and employee-led education actually is something that Gee embraced a very long time ago. And uh, the question that always comes up, though, that I find baffling because obviously you're pointing out really great companies, uh, Courtney, that that have invested a lot of time and energy in development. Many companies would not invest 60 to 90 days uh, up front to help really understand the context, the culture, the leader behaviors, the values, how work is done, the customer perspective, the stakeholders, all of that, to really then design something that is unique to that organization. How do you get past that hurdle? Meaning, how do we find the clients that will allow us to spend those 60 to 90 days? It's really about mindset and will and commitment, right? In the sense of we are a boutique consulting firm, meaning there is far more work out there in the leadership development space than than we could ever do, right? And that's why there's lots of great players and other companies and organizations in our field. Yet we really do that mindset, will, and commitment screen. We generate a lot of demand for our work. Or, you know, again, we're a tiny boutique consulting firm, but there's a lot of demand. And so we're really in that nice position to be able to be straight up with our clients. I think everyone wants to be straight up with their clients, but we really talk about, you know, we want to move the needle on your business. We're not a training company. And if you just want leadership training, then that's awesome. And we've got a lot of folks that we want to refer you to. Yet we look for partnerships where we are moving the needle on your business and we are going to make sure you receive ROI. Yet we have to be completely aligned in that process, meaning we have to understand your business really well. Um, And you need to demonstrate the commitment to allow us to learn your business and then we're going to be committed to getting results or we don't want to be compensated, right? So we're willing to put our uh, billing where our mouth is um, in the (laughs) sense of we, um, if we're not moving the needle, we want to be out of an organization and we'll be the first to say this isn't effective and stop paying us uh, because if we're not achieving success, that just doesn't fulfill us as practitioners. It's not the work we want to be doing. Well, I think, right, Linda. I really think it's the right model. I think it's it's it is the model that will deliver visible, tangible ROI. And I know Morag, you want to get into that whole ROI question. Well, yes, because I love what Courtney's saying about the right clients are the ones who are willing to invest the 60, 90 days to get the right solution versus do you want to buy a watch and then being disappointed by the lack of moving the needle. So tell us more about the the back end then. You've done the diagnostic, you've immersed in the business, you speak the language, you have perspective as a fresh pair of eyes as to where the silos might be, where the, the the trip up points might be in an organization, but that then allows you to design a solution that works for that unique context for that client. So then how do you go about and what does that look like now, but also into the future as you think about how do you demonstrate just how far the needle has moved? 
Absolutely. So the solutions themselves really fit the culture of the organization, right? So our no two solutions look alike, yet they're all powered by proven content. Mm-hmm. We don't reinvent leadership. We find ways to teach leadership in a way that makes sense to the adult learners that are participating in the programs we design, right? Uh, but when it comes down to the ROI piece, it's really about uh, understanding a pain point and the impact that it's having on the bottom line, right? I think a manufacturing client is a perfect example because it's a little bit more straightforward. Uh, we had a client that was about drops of their goods on the manufacturing line, 19 drops of, of goods per minute was where they were at. Yet if they were able to get to 21 drops per minute through effective high-performing teams, it would mean additional millions of dollars of profit for that organization. And so what we did is we deconstructed, you know, what does it take for a team to run well on the line? Mm-hmm. People have to feel a part of something bigger. They have to have context and a vision. They have to feel cared for. So we did some things on the HR organizational development side of the house, and then we did some things on practical behaviors with the team leads, with the shift workers themselves. And again, our overarching business goal was to increase the rate of manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was a, about a, an 18-month journey with teaching people um, how you could uh, get that stronger performance uh, from each team member through building the trust and having the leadership practices. And then we go as far as looking at content incentives and other factors that are more on the OD side within the client organization. Uh, but if, you know, if again, the uh, client experiences a $10 million growth in business, let's just use an even simple number, then what they're paying us to do that work is immediately paying for itself. And then that growth and progression is only going to continue to happen as the teams perform high the next year when we're not there. Um, And as the leadership program is reinforced by their leaders in really simple ways, right? By the time we leave the program simple and sticky, it's not the classroom instruction or the deeper assessment work or the types of things we might have done to build that foundation in a set of core leaders. It's uh, things that are simple and actionable and repeatable and become woven into the culture of how that organization runs. What I like about that, it comes full circle to those two points you made earlier in our conversation around the business case for leadership development. Um, You can demonstrate that. And in fact, business without that investment, um, at best, it does okay, but it tends to stagnate. What you're showing with the the, uh, ROI and moving the needle is how you can accelerate success. But it's also not consultants for life. It is about building the leader-led internal capability that's sustainable and sticky that is also very different. Absolutely. And I think that's the key part. And that's also the part that's so exciting for us as practitioners because our clients make our work better. We had a program we seeded about three years ago in an organization. And I just talked to one of the senior leaders a couple weeks ago. And what they're doing now is light years ahead of what I would have ever thought for them to do. Um, and they were teaching me new things mm-hmm. about how they're teaching leadership. And they're not, you know, they're, they don't have degrees in OD. They don't have PhDs. They're not learned practitioners, but they are practitioners day in and day out in the real world. And that is tremendously valuable. And I was so excited to see where they had taken their own program. Uh, it, was, it was phenomenal. And they're committed to learning. So they're using mm-hmm. all kinds of source materials. They become lifelong leadership learners. Um, but it's light years ahead of where we thought they could go or we could even imagine going for them. So they did it better. And we really respect that. Our clients know their own businesses best. We know leadership best in the beginning. But at the yeah. end, um, I think they, they far surpassed 
process. So I think I think I heard you say um, at some point that leadership is a, well, leadership and learning is a journey. It never comes to an end. So I'm curious. We've talked a lot about how you and your team at Leadstar help organisations and individuals learn and grow. I'm curious. How do you take your own medicine? How do you stay current, and how do you learn and flex your own style? It's just the hardest part. I think that's the <laughs> downside, and you two can probably appreciate it with the amazing body of work you've produced in our space, right? I have such respect for what you've done. I mean, it's hard to be the self-aware of where you're inept all the time, right? Um, it's just, you know, you keep trying to apply it, but again, I, I don't develop at any special magic rate. I'm still the classic three steps forward, six steps back. Uh, I just think sometimes I'm so much more aware of my six steps back, perhaps, because of the the learning and experiences I've had working alongside uh, great professionals and helping them develop. You know, it's interesting. Do you, uh, Courtney, do you ever reassess after you've been with a client for uh, like 18 months and go back and, and really, um, you know, see how the picture has in a, in a real quantitative or qualitative way, how, how that's really changed. And the, and the, the, the other side of that, uh, we had someone else on the show, Tony O'Driscoll from Duke uh, Corporate Education, and he was saying that sometimes when he's working with leaders, the real key about being a lifelong learner is understanding when you have to unlearn things uh, that you used to do in order to move forward and put yourself in a new learning mode. I'm just wondering what your reaction is to both of those things. Yeah, no, I think it's so great, right? Every time you level up, uh, yeah, some habits need to go away and you need to stop doing some things and there's new things you have to start doing and certainly some of those timeless best practices that you continue. Uh, but yeah, we absolutely reassess them. I think one of the most bright line projects I've worked on where it was so joyful and easy to reassess was one of our projects we heightened, we isolated out business impact as a reduction of hand injuries. It was a very physical type of job uh, that the company, the majority of the employees the company performed. And so it was amazing. We ran a control group and then uh, a, a group that actually had leadership development experiences. And in the control group where nothing different was happening, um, they had a much higher index of hand injuries over the 18 months. So the folks that were taught behavior-based leadership alongside behavior-based safety uh, yeah. they were reducing hand injuries, right? So that was a monetary, and then, I mean, I think just a great for people, first and foremost, uh, making a safer work environment. So, yes, we're always assessing that. Uh, you do have to give it time, though, right? Sometimes yeah. when we do an early index, we look at three or six months, we're seeing oh, not much moving of the needle uh, because behaviors aren't being consistent. They're not really truly new habits yet. But uh, at the 12-month point, the 18-month point, you really do start to see it. But the key is not to overclaim, too. You know, there could have been other things, other intervening factors that reduce those hand injuries. So we put it out there, but we don't want to totally rally around it that LeadStar was the reason why so that we diminished credibility. It's just, look, there's a strong correlation between leader development and reduced hand injuries, and that's exciting to, to customers. They're like, keep doing it. And that project itself was rolled out uh, across multiple divisions after that control group division was done um, in that manner where we were really truly isolating out that factor. That's exciting because a lot of people don't do that, Courtney, you know, and it's, it's kind of like a word of mouth and it's so exciting that you have those uh, really tangible, hard examples of that if you put the energy into this and you do it right and you do the engagement right, you know, you can get substantial 
uh, value out of all of this. I mean, I think there's $50 billion spent a year in development, and I would say most development is, uh, you know, kind of classroom training, run in, do this. Very, the, the majority of it is not the approach that you're using, which I think is, is brilliant. I love it. No, I appreciate that, right? And that's why it's so important to have clients that will take that long view, right? They have the will and commitment and that mindset of, you know what, I want to do this well. I don't want to just check the box. So, Courtney, what I loved about both your books, so Leading from the Front and Spark, is, as you described, it's very pragmatic, very tactical. It's not just for the organization or the team that's looking to be different. It's for me as the individual leader. What can I do to accelerate my influence, my impact, my career? So, sum up for us at this point, for the individual, for the, the listeners who are um, reflecting on this conversation and thinking about their own sparkiness. <laughs> and the impact in their organization. If there were three things, because we always remember things in threes, three pieces of advice, three tactics, I don't mind how you responded. What are the three things that as an individual spark leader, I should, I should be thinking about or focusing on right now to start making a difference? Yeah, I love it. Let's sum it up in three. The big three is the first is self-awareness. Find your own blind spots, right? And I know that sounds like an oxymoron. They're blind spots. How do we find them? But push to know, right? What are your self-defeating behaviors and what are your strengths that you're not bringing more to the forefront, right? Because blind spots can be positive things too. Second is credibility. What are the standards for success? Every time we're working with another individual, they have expectations, right? Some people want an email with bullets. Some people want three paragraphs because they want the background information. Know your colleagues. The colleague that wants the bullets, don't send them the paragraphs, right? We have to be aware <laughs> with the littlest yeah. standards. What does success look like for the people that we're working with? What does credibility look like? And then thirdly, and most importantly, service. Leadership is about other people. How do you add value to other people? How do you get out of the silos and pace drives us into deeper self-focused silos? But how do we start looking around at other people and saying, what can we do to add value? And then having those intentions, but making them become actions, right? Having that discipline to take action on behalf of other people, even if it's just 15 minutes a day. I know we're all busy, but if we spend 15 minutes a day selflessly trying to add value to someone else, that's huge. Mm, I love that. So three things, self-awareness, credibility, and service leadership, and 15 minutes a day. Hey, it's easier than going to the gym. We've got no excuses. We should all be doing this. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> so I but think like we're the gym, you never regret it when you go, uh, right? When you serve, you never regret it. <laughs> and like the gym, this is a journey. Unfortunately, it's not a one and done because I've tried it when I've gone to the gym and I'm told, no, I have to still keep working out for the rest of my life. That's just cruelty. But leadership at <laughs> least news. is fun because you're doing it with others and you're leaving a legacy because hopefully you're inspiring other sparks and helping them to learn and grow as well. Um, so uh, as we're coming to the, towards the end of our conversation, I'd actually like to then move the focus, which is how do we start um, thinking about this as an organization? And if leaders want, and leaders, whether it's individuals or for their team and company, how do they get in touch with you to learn more about how LeadStar can help accelerate their company? 
Uh, well, they can reach out to us anytime via our web presence. Our website is leadstar.us. Yet I would also encourage, if you're serious about leadership development, pick up a copy of Spark or write to us at leadstar.us. We'll send you a copy of Spark. Take some time, read the book, and if it makes sense and you see a fit for your organization, give us a ring and let's talk because we'll be the first to say if a project is one that we don't think we can add value uh, and then we'll also be the first to say, hey, this, this sounds like a great opportunity. Let's, uh, let's do that exploratory time and spend some time together and see if it's all a good fit leadstar.us and get your copy of Spark. I know you won't be disappointed. I've read it. I've read it twice and it's got little flags and highlights and I don't often do that. So I really appreciated the opportunity to, to read and see your insights there. Linda, what final thoughts you have as we have two minutes left of the show? Any other questions or thoughts that we need to share with our listeners this week? Well, I think it's been a, a great conversation and a great discussion, and, and I think this just underscores even more, Morag, what we said in our own book, that leadership is shifting dramatically, and the time to really uh, do a, uh, a deep reflection and view of how you're engaging and leading others and how you're leading yourself, frankly, um, always needs moments mm -hmm. of and it seems to me as we get more entrenched in the 21st century that is so complex and, and in many ways so crazy and daunting that this is a good time to get in the attic into the leadership attic there and um, take a good hard look because being a leader is really all about you and how you behave and nobody can change you or change your own behavior except you and mm -hmm. only your willing and able to have an honest reflection. So um, th those are kind of the thoughts that I take away as, a, as I was listening to Courtney today. And I loved our discussion, Courtney. It was just great. Thank you, everybody. I I love being here. You all do amazing work. Linda Morag, it's just such an honor to be a part of your show and to be a part of what you're doing. So thanks so much for the value you add to so many. It's an honor to have you on, Courtney. We will talk again. Bye, Morag. Have a great rest of your week. And you. Look forward to our conversation next week. Yes. Bye. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.